Amen. Let's turn together to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, for those who um, haven't been for the last couple of weeks, we have started a new series in the life of Abraham, which we're calling the blessing of Abraham. Because Paul, in his epistle to the Galatians, talks about the blessing of Abraham coming upon the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. That's us. So we would want to know what that blessing is, wouldn't we? And we've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks, and uh, I, I, we don't really have time for me to, to recap what we've been looking at because there's been so much I've been sharing. So I'd encourage you to get the CD or the DVD if you've missed out on those two last weeks. But we're coming to Genesis chapter 17 this morning and verse 1. And we read this, that when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Or as many of you know, that, that term in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, what does that term mean to be blameless? It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word, tormim, and it means to be whole, to be without blemish, to be upright, to be undefiled, to be perfect or complete. It's a kind of broad word, <clears throat> and really you need to look at the context to know what God meant by that statement. Walk before me and be blameless. Um, <clears throat> you know, this... this um, introduction from God to Abraham came after a series of Abraham walking according to the flesh. You know, he walked in disobedience or partial obedience, and as a result of that, he reaped a lot of unfortunate circumstances in his life. You know, for example, when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land that he would show him, he told him to go alone. To go on his own. In fact, when it says in chapter 12 that God said to him, get out. In the Hebrew, it is go for yourself. You go. And when you look at um, Isaiah, this is what we see. Isaiah says, look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him. But what happened is his father came out with him, Terah. Now, he was an, a negative influence upon Abraham. Abraham sowed partial disobedience, and he reaped the consequences for that. You know that uh, Terah was actually an idol worshipper. Joshua tells us, uh, Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham. See, I took Abraham away from that. But Terah came from him, with him and influenced him, and in fact, they stopped at a place called Haran, and some Bible commentators tell us that it could have been up to 25 years that they stayed there. Now, that, you know, he was 75 when he came into the Promised Land, so he would have left at the age of about 50 and stayed there all those years, missing out on land, a uh, time in the Promised Land. Can you see that? And then when eventually uh, Terah died, he went into the Promised Land, and the Bible says that there was a famine in the land. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. So he went down to Egypt and uh, he did some things there, told some lies and so on, sowed some bad seed down there. And when he came up out of Egypt, again, we see this, that he brought with him male and female servants. 
Now, I think I know the name of one of those female servants. <laughs> Hagar. That's right. We'll talk about her later on. But you see, sowing again and reaping the consequences of sowing to the flesh. Now, also, he brought with him into the promised land Lot. Lot wasn't a part of the deal. God told him to go alone. But not only did he take his father, he took Lot as well. And when they come up out of Egypt, they were, the, 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 the Bible says that there was contention between the servants of Lot and the servants of Abraham. There wasn't enough pasture <clears throat> for both their flocks and their herds. There wasn't enough watering places. And they argued, and in the end, they had to separate. And even after they separated, on two occasions, Abraham had to go and rescue Lot. We looked at one of those times last week when... Uh, uh, you know, the, king, uh, the kings came against the city of Sodom and took away Lot and his family and all the inhabitants. And Abraham went after them and rescued them. And then there was a time when God said that he was going to bring judgment down upon Sodom. And Abraham went in to intercede for Lot, his nephew. And so we, we can see that, you know, there, 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 it caused some problems in the life of Abraham. And then eventually, even after that time, you know, when, when they separated and Abraham was finally free from Terah, from Lot. Then we read in the chapter before this that Sarah said to Abraham, you know, this promise of God, it's not happening. Here's Hagar. Go in to her and have a child through her. And he did. He took his eyes off the promise. And, and he went into Hagar, they had a child. And you know the story, it brought a lot of contention and strife and division and bad feeling into the household of Abraham. And in fact, you could even argue that even till this day, that has been a problem to the seed of Abraham. Now, what I want to say, dear friends, is this, and this is something that we've been pointing out over these last two weeks, is that all the... All the things that came upon Abraham for his sowing to the flesh were nothing to do with God. Amen. The Bible says this, um, he who sows to the flesh or to his flesh will of what? The flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. It's got nothing to do with God's judging us. God has blessed us. He, you know, he doesn't bless us one day and then curse us the next. We're not justified one day and then condemned the next. Amen? So God's blessing is upon us regardless of what we do. But if we sow to the wind, we shall from the wind reap the whirlwind. <laughs> Isn't that right? <clears throat> That's what the Bible says. Got nothing to do with God. Don't blame God. For that, because the blessing of God is upon us, regardless of our sowing. But if we sow into this field, we will reap from this field. Now, in that verse, when Paul says that he who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, just before that, it talks about different aspects of, of the flesh life. You know, for example, it talks about envy and pride and selfish ambition and contention and strife. Now, if you sow into those things, what is going to happen? It's going to come into your relationships. It's going to impact upon the relationships of those around you. That's got nothing to do with God. That's sowing bad 
seeds into bad ground and reaping the consequence for it. Let's say another person uh, sows into alcohol, becomes an alcoholic. Uh, what's going to happen? Eventually, that will kill his liver. It's going to destroy his health. It's going to destroy his finances, his relationships, his ability to work and have a normal life. It's going to impact upon every area of his life. That's not the judgment of God upon him. It's nothing to do with God. That's sowing to the flesh and from the flesh reaping corruption. Now, when, when the prodigal son went away into the far country, uh, you know, he, he, he left his father and he ended up in a mess. Isn't that right? Sitting down there with the pigs, eating the pigs' fruit, food. Where was his father? Did his father do that to him? No, his father was at home longing for him to come back that he might be in his home, that he might be blessed, that he might sit around his table, and that he might just shower his love upon him. But he took himself off, he sowed to the flesh, and from the flesh he reaped corruption. Now here's the point, friends. We can experience corruption, or as the King James says, destruction in the circumstances of our lives because of wrong decisions because of bad choices, because of sowing to the flesh. But we cannot be corrupted. Now it's very important to understand that. Yes, there can be corruption in our circumstances, but not in us, because we have been born of incorruptible seed. Let's just have a look at what Peter says here. We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Praise God. In fact, the Bible says this, when you're born again, you are joined to the Lord and you are one spirit with him. Now, if we can be corrupted, see I was having this discussion this week and people always ask me this question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Friends, when you are born again, you are one spirit with the Lord. Now, if you can be corrupted, then the Lord can be corrupted. Amen. If you can be destroyed, that is your new creation, your new birth, if that can die, then the Lord can die because you are now one spirit with the Lord. Peter says this, he says that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received from tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Praise God for that. Not only that, but our inheritance, Peter says, is incorruptible. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, <coughs> reserved in heaven for you. Praise God for that. In fact, I would even go further than that, friends. The Bible says this, that not only are you incorruptible, that is your spirit. Your spirit is perfect, it is complete, and it cannot sin. The new creation that you are is incapable of sinning. Have you ever read this verse and wondered at it? Whosoever is born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. I remember for years and years reading that and saying, yeah, you know, I really don't want to sin. I, you know, I want to get to that place where I do not sin. You know, like all those other Christians out there. <clears throat> That's not what it means. 
Because earlier on he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Everyone sins. Amen? Everyone sins. But it's talking about the new creation, the new birth that is in you. You are partakers of the divine nature and that cannot sin. Paul talks about this in, in, in his um, uh, struggle with, with the law and sin and, and that sort of thing before he discovered the grace of God. And he said this, he said, now if I do what I will not to do, listen, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Wow, that's, a, that's the biggest cop out I've ever come. That's a, I like that, that's good. <laughs> Wasn't me. <clears throat> wasn't me that called you ugly. <laughs> it's sin that dwells in me. Naughty sin. Now, he goes on to say, for I, that's me, the new birth, the new creation, I delight in the law of God. I delight in the word of God. I delight in the things of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, that's my unredeemed body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death which is in my members praise god what we've got is incorruptible what we've got is something that cannot be corrupted but can we experience corruption in our circumstances answer yes we all know that to be true but never ever friends when you reap the harvest of sowing to the flesh, never say that that is the judgment of God upon you. That God is angry with you, that God is punishing with you, that God is catching up with you. Because that is theologically heresy. <laughs> it is. That's the world's heresy. You know, when something goes wrong, if, if your house gets de demolished by a cyclone or a flood, they call that an act of God. <laughs> and yet you know the world if, if the world's driving along in a car and goes through an intersection and a drunken driver jumps a red light at 80 kilometers an hour and misses you by a whisker people say whoo that was lucky <laughs> every problem god every good thing that happens lucky find lucky will you find him I want to know more about Lucky. <clears throat> that's, we know that that's not how it is. Listen, James says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love that verse. Every good thing, you don't have to stand there scratching your head saying, well, I wonder where this has come from. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, good one day, bad the next. No variation, nor shadow of turning. Uh-oh, he ceased to be good, now he's turning away from me. No. God, is, God has set his heart towards you to bless you. Because... You are righteous in Christ. Remember, righteousness is the foundation of blessing. Amen? So every good thing that comes into your life is from God. Give thanks and give glory to Him. He's a good God. He cannot but act 
consistently with his nature. A good God does good things. Now, there's someone else. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come, in contrast, that you might have life and have it abundantly, overflowing, in excess. Praise God. Now, are we clear about that? Every good thing is from God and every bad thing is from the enemy. Because, you know, we've got some doctrines and, and, and it's taken me years to kind of work through some of these things, especially about the chastening of the Lord. You know, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And so, <clears throat> you know, I don't understand everything about sickness and healing. I don't. I don't think anybody does, quite honestly. But one thing I do know is that it's not from God. God does not lay sickness upon you. Now some people say, oh yeah, but that's the chastening of the Lord. You know, that's the chastening of the Lord. And you say, well, well why is he chastening you? Well, he's teaching me a lesson. <clears throat> and then you ask them, what's the lesson? And they don't know. The Lord's teaching me a lesson. I mean, would you, if you, if you disciplined your child and your child says to you, what was that for? Oh, you don't need to know. <laughs> Hope you've learned your lesson. <clears throat> and you know, another thing is like, <clears throat> okay, sickness is the chastening of the Lord to teach us a lesson or to bring us to holiness, but then we sneak off and get some medicine to get well. Hey, hang on a minute. You said that was from the Lord. Get back to that bed of sickness. <clears throat> Learn your lesson. See, there's a lot of inconsistency. And then people say, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm being chased. <laughs> <clears throat> Not by the Lord, by the thief and the robber. And some people say, you know, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, uh, you know, that some of the the Corinthians were weak and sick and some even had died. You know the scripture? Now friends, help me here. Tell me what lesson can I learn when I'm dead? <laughs> if chastening is to teach us lessons and some were chastened unto death, what did they learn in that? Can't learn much when you're dead, can you really? It's too late to put any valuable lessons into practice. Amen? You see, that word chastening, as, I, as I've shared before, and many of you have read that in my book, The New Covenant, it means sun training. Some of the most godliest people, the people that didn't need discipline, were the ones that received chastening. That is sun training. You look, for example, at Job. The Bible says that he was the most righteous man. There wasn't a man like him. And yet he suffered more than What, from God? No, it's very clear that came upon him from the enemy. Now the chastening is that when God can release us from that, sometimes he chooses to leave us in that, that we might experience grace, because by grace we grow. And by grace, and that's why the Bible says that even Jesus, he asked to be delivered from suffering but though he were a son yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered amen chastening means son training 
And here's the thing. Even when, even when we do sow to the flesh and we're reaping the consequences for it, God's blessing continues upon us. Now we're looking at Abraham and the patriarchs. Listen to what the psalmist said. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another, to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. <clears throat> Amen. That, that, that's what happened with Abraham, isn't it? Do you remember, for example, he went down, we looked at this, he went down to Egypt and he got himself into trouble by telling lies about his wife. But God plagued Pharaoh, kept Pharaoh from coming to Sarah. Same thing happened with Abimelech. God rebuked him in the middle of the night, said, you're a dead man if you touch her. Even though he was sinning, even though he was sowing to the flesh, God still was blessing him and even protecting him. Same thing happened to Isaac. Incidentally, Isaac repeated the same sin that his father did. He said that Rebekah was his sister to the same king, to Abimelech. And, and God came to him at night and, and scared the life out of him. <laughs> and, and so then he blessed Isaac and Isaac went from him. It's almost like a, a repeat of what happened with Abraham. And, and as he went, the Bible says that God blessed him a hundredfold. God didn't chase him and say, you, you're, you're, you know, you, Go to your room. <laughs> no blessings for you for a few more weeks. No, as he went, he sowed in the, year, in, in the ground the same year and, and reaped a hundredfold. And he prospered and kept prospering until he was very prosperous. We saw that verse last week. And do you know what? The, the Philistines envied him. And they followed him and they attacked him and they tried to stop the wells that he discovered. And, and so when, when they blocked this well. He didn't contend with them. He just moved on and God blessed him over here and he found water here. They followed him here. He did the same thing. He just kept moving on. <clears throat> and then the Bible says this, that the Philistines came to him and said, we want to make a covenant with you. He said, what do you want to make a covenant? You, you've chased me away from you. Do you know what they said? We have seen that the Lord is with you. We've seen. We're not silly. We can see there's something about you. You are blessed by God. Same thing happened with Jacob. Jacob sowed to the flesh. You know, he was that great schemer that tried to work it all out in his own strength, just like his father and his grandfather tried to work it all out himself and ended up with a mess. But God kept blessing him. And when he went to Laban, the Bible says that God blessed him. He went with just a stick in his hand. And he came out with all of Laban's flocks and herds. And he said to his wife, he said, your father, God has, God has given your father's flocks to me. Because Laban tried to trick him, but God, God's blessing was upon Jacob. And you know, Laban pursued Jacob, came after him with all his men in the night. But just before he caught up with him, God came to him in the night and said, do not say anything bad to that man. That's the blessing of God, friends. That's the blessing of God. Even when we're sowing to the flesh, from the flesh we might be reaping hard circumstances. 
but not from God. Not from God. The blessing of the Lord is upon us. What is it the psalmist said? Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Cleaning up after me all the days of my life. Amen. And so we come to Genesis chapter 17 and we see the significance. You know, Abraham had sown to the flesh, sown to the flesh, sown to the flesh. And God said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. In other words, if I can just translate that, he was just saying, hey Abraham, trust me. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't try to work it out yourself. Trust me. This is after the Hagar thing. Man, if anything was a, a beacon to the Christian walk, it's the Hagar incident. Don't try to make things happen in your life. Trust God. Amen. Trust God. Let him work it out. In his time. Not in your time, but in his time. I am El Shaddai. I'm the omnipotent one, the all-competent one, the all-sufficient one. I'll do it. Trust me. And then I love this chapter because so often you, you come across these two words, I will. Let's look together at verse 2. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Verse 8, and I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. You go down to verse 16, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come, shall be from her. Verse 19, then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descent. And on and on it goes, dear friends. I will, I will. I will. Why do you think God kept saying that? Because in the chapter before, he tried to do it. He tried, I will make this happen. I will get me a son. God hasn't done it. I'll do it. But after sowing to the flesh and reaping the consequences, the turmoil in his, in his household, God comes to him and says, I'm El Shaddai. Now walk before me. Walk before me. Walk in the light of living in my presence, trusting in me, depending upon me, and I will do all these things. Amen. You know, the other thing that's happened in this chapter is that God changes the name of Abraham and Sarah. The name Abraham means exalted father. And the, the name Abraham means father of many nations. Same with Sarah. Sarah means actually my princess. Whose princess was she? She was Abraham's princess. 
But you know, Sarah, not Sarai, but Sarah means to many, to many nations. Now, let me ask you this question. When, when Abraham was an exalted father, who was he an exalted father over? One man, Ishmael. But when God blessed him, he was father over many nations. In fact, he's called our father. He's the father of all who believe. He's the father of the Jewish nation, the earthly seed, but also the spiritual seed. He's father over many. When Sarah was princess, she was just Abraham's princess. In fact, she had no children. But now she is princess over many nations. The earthly seed, the mother of Israel, but also she's our mother. Now when Peter speaks about the husband and wife relationship, he says this, that uh, wives obey your husbands, etc., etc. We'll look at that in just a moment. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are. We often talk about that we are the sons of Abraham. Well, ladies, we're the daughters. You're the daughters of Sarah. But actually, we'll come to this in a moment, we're all, we all look to Sarah as our mother. You either have Hagar as your mother or you have Sarah as your mother. You know the story. Now let's get back to this, this incident. When was it that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord? Did she always obey him? No. This is the whole problem. In the chapter before, in chapter 16, she's the one that initiated going into Hagar. Yeah, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? Now just hang in there, ladies. I'm, I'm gonna, I've, just got, I've got more to say about this. <laughs> See, God gave his word to, to Adam, but Sarah, uh, sorry, Eve came in and brought another word. And that's what caused the disaster. And as they came out of the Garden of Eden, Adam said to Eve, the next time I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> But that's what happened with Abraham. God gave his word not to Sarah at this stage. He hasn't really revealed himself in the same way to Sarah. That's to come. But he gave his word to Abraham. But Sarah came in and gave her suggestion, and the same thing happened. She didn't always obey Abraham. But this is where the change came. God says, I'm going to make you, Abraham. I'm going to make you. I will, I will, I will, I will the father of many nations, and also Sarah, she's going to be the one through whom the child will come. I will do it. And that was where the change came, because the next chapter is the chapter we looked at last week, where God and the two angels came down, and, and you remember I said they were intimate in their, their communication with Abraham. He talked to God, talked with Abraham about what was on his heart and also what was on God's heart. Remember that? And Sarah, when she heard God say that she was going to have a child, she laughed. And then the Lord pulled her up on that. 
And then that's when she called Abraham her Lord. She said, how's it going to be? How's it going to happen? My Lord also, being past that age. She called him Lord. Now, let's just go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to share something here, which, uh, which I believe, again, the Lord just drew the curtains back a bit more for me this, this week concerning this passage. Many of you will be familiar with this passage. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter and verse 3, it's talking to, to the women here at this stage and say, saying, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging hair, wearing gold and putting on fine apparel. Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the, here's that word again, incorruptible beauty. So, you, so it's not having a go at you ladies making yourself look beauty, beautiful. But you know that one day that beauty will be corrupted. It's corruptible. Okay, We live in a, in a world of decay. But there is another beauty. You know, they're saying beauty's only skin deep. No, it's not. Not real beauty. It's deeper than that. And that's the beauty of godliness. Okay. So, person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, what, what is that talking about? It's not just talking about being meek and mild, actually. Because Sarah was not always like that. Even after that encounter, as we're going to see. So I want you to just get this for a moment. It's not about just being weak and submissive and, and meek and mild. Let's look, let's go on for a moment because it's qualified, it's clarified. Verse 5, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. It's talking here about not just the principle of women should submit to men, it's that God often does bring his word to the men, as in Adam, as, as in Abraham, and it behoves men to lead their families in the ways of the Lord to sow into the Spirit, to walk by faith, to walk before him and be blameless. Amen? Amen. And for the women not to argue against that or to, to, to fight against that as Sarah did in Genesis chapter 16. Amen? Husbands, verse 7, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and look at this, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. See, God doesn't want to just bless us individually. He wants to bless our marriages. He wants to bless our, own, our homes. And it's as we walk with him, we walk in the spirit. We sow to the spirit concerning the promise of God, concerning the grace of God, concerning God's program for righteousness by faith in the seed. Amen. As we understand that and we know that we are people of faith, we walk together in agreement together, there is the blessing of God. We're sowing to the, the Spirit. Now, did 
Sarah, after that encounter, always have a gentle and quiet spirit towards Abraham? Answer, no. And we know that when, when Isaac was born, there was problems. There was problems in the household of Abraham again. In fact, remember this is an analogy. See, Abraham now has got two wives. And they represent, Paul says, two covenants. Sarah, the covenant of promise, being the covenant of grace. And Hagar, the covenant of law, okay, which leads to bondage. The flesh, trying to do it through our marriage with the law. Now, <clears throat> before Isaac was born, what was Hagar's attitude towards Sarah? after Ishmael was born. She mocked her. See, barrenness in those days was a terrible thing. It, it, it was a real um, reproach. And, and she mocked her. And friends, let me tell you this. When, when, you, when you're trusting God to work things out according to the promise, and, and, and you're not tempted to go to the, the law and to the flesh to try to work it out in your own strength, the person who is living by the flesh can usually produce quick results. Nothing happening in that ministry, that grace thing. And so they mock. But then when God does bless, the mocking turns to persecution. And that's what happened. When Isaac was born, when he came to that place where he was weaned from his mother, there was a celebration, a feast, they celebrated, but Ishmael, who's now a big, strapping teenager, began to persecute this little kid, to pick on him, to bully him, and Sarah saw it. She was no longer Sarah with a meek and quiet spirit. She asserted herself in that household, as you do, ladies. <laughs> and, and said to Abraham, cast out that woman and her bond child, because that son will not be heir with my son. What did Abraham say? Now, see, this is where Abraham is now walking according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. Sarah, with her assertiveness, is in the spirit. But Abraham is not. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. We can work it out. We can all be together, one big happy family. Let's dwell together. You know, Abraham, uh, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, they'll, they'll get along. They will. They'll, they'll get along. Just give it time. What did God say? Listen to your wife. She's speaking the word of the Lord. She is speaking the word of the Lord. And friends, how true it is that grace and law cannot mix. You cannot combine them to be one big happy family. You'll end up with a civil war inside you. Amen? We've all tried that. And in the end, Law has to go. 
We stand by the grace of God. If it's of grace, it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Amen. And so, what I want to say in all this is, friends, sometimes, men, if I can talk to you men, sometimes, when your, <clears throat> when your princess begins to assert herself <clears throat> in the home, <clears throat> you've got to ask yourself, is she speaking the word of the Lord? Is she speaking a word that's going to prevent you from sowing to the flesh again and reaping a bad harvest? You know, we've all done that. We've all done that in our personal lives. We've done it in our marriages. We've done things according to the flesh and we need to learn from the harvest that we reap from those things that if we sow to the flesh, we shall from the flesh reap corruption. And I don't care who it is, friends, whether it's the man or the woman, when someone stands up and says, no, we're not going to do this or we're not going to have this, you need to have your ear tuned to, is this the word of the Lord that's saving me from sowing into a bad harvest that I just really don't need right now. Hands up if you've had a bad harvest. You know what I'm talking about. You've sown to the flesh. Five, six honest people here, seven, eight. I see that. <clears throat> Some of you, oh. You wait, you wait for the others first. It's safe. Come on, we've all done that. And you sow to the flesh. From the flesh, not from the Lord. From the flesh you will reap corruption. And so if there's someone there in that marriage that's got the word of the Lord, that's walking in the spirit, then listen to what they have to say. And save yourself from another bad harvest. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you today for the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have... God, it in our hearts so clear that every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from heaven above. Lord, you're not a God who um, is variant. You're not a God who changes, who's good one day to us and then harsh on us the next. Lord, you just shower your blessing upon us continuously. Your heart is fixed towards goodness toward us. We thank you for that. And Lord, we know that the enemies, the thief and the robber who will still kill and destroy. We know too, Lord, that sometimes we have ourselves a hand in that by making bad decisions that we know to be wrong and yet we think that we can do it best in our way. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us from that kind of thing in our hearts that, that just takes us down that pathway. And Lord, I do pray that uh, we'll just have that spiritual discernment to hear the voice that says no, whether it's the voice of our partner, whether it's the voice of the Spirit or a well-meaning friend, Lord God, I just pray that we'll have the discernment to heed the voice that says to us, don't go that way, don't sow into that field, but sow into the Spirit. Trust God, walk before Him and be blameless. Lord, we thank You that You are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. And as we started this service, Lord, so we finish it by just reclining back into your bosom, resting you in you, trusting in you, and believing in your goodness toward us. 
Your way is the best way and the blessed way. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.